and welcome to another episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast. My name is Laura and I'm here with my co-host Seb. Hello, Laura. I thought you did that introduction really well. Thank you so much, Seb. Um, in this podcast, we bring to you conversations that we have with experts and the people who are making the circular economy a reality. And we've had different conversations in this podcast uh, with different leaders uh, in the packaging industry, in the food industry, uh, like the Coca-Cola company, PepsiCo, and many others. And this week, we are going to be hearing more about the work that Unilever is doing to push uh, the circular economy forward and what some of their ambitions around packaging and what some of their commitments are. Seb, who did you speak to? I had a chance to catch up with their vice president for packaging, Pablo Costa. Um, and in my conversation with Pablo, I mean, what's interesting about Unilever actually is that um, they're one of the signatories of many on the new plastics economy global commitment the foundation has published and publishes up regular annual updates on. And something that's interesting about their story is that they have gone, for instance, from 1% recycled content in their packaging to over 11%. So they're one of the organizations and their target is 25% by 2025. They've shown real progress during the time of the global commitment. Um, so it was interesting to have a chat with Pablo to find out a bit more about how they've done that, um, some of the things that they're continuing continuing to trial and what's next and where they actually need to push that ambition level even further. I think I'm really looking forward to hearing this conversation, Seb. I know that, you know, as a big company, um, you know, people can, you know, and probably do rightly so, they question the work that they are doing and how committed they actually are to taking action. I think what's interesting about that, by the way, is that I think that's completely valid and fair. And I sort of encourage people that I speak to to take that critical eye. But Pablo is also an individual. And hopefully in the course of this conversation, you'll hear a bit about his story. For instance, he tells me about his experience of seeing a piece of packaging that he'd helped to design or from a product that he helped to design uh, whilst on holiday, on a sailing holiday somewhere and, and, and as waste in the environment. And the effect that had on him and on his career path. So, of course, these organizations are huge, but they're also made up of individuals who are personally incentivized to try and make positive change happen. Well, can't wait to hear more from him, Seb. Let's hear from Pablo Costa uh, from Unilever. So, Pablo, thank you so much for joining us. And I actually wanted to start by just asking for a bit of info about your backstory, like what's your kind of comic book origin story to where you've got to today in Unilever? Oh, hello, Seb. I'm really pleased to be here uh, with you today. Uh, that's a good question because uh, we are here to talk about packaging and my role in packaging uh, in Unilever. And actually, I'm not a packaging person by training. I've been in Unilever for 25 years. I started my career uh, straight from university, uh, from my I did a degree in, in chemistry and a master's in chemistry. So I showed Unilever uh, to work in chemistry. So that was my plan. And after uh, about uh, 17 years working in chemistry, product development, formulation development for different categories within the company, I decided to transition to packaging and do a bit of an experiment, go into the packaging world, uh, which I found very exciting and very challenging at the time. And uh, yes, ever since I've been working 
in packaging will be now uh, about eight years that I've been in the in the packaging world. And what you know, can you remember like a moment or what triggered that kind of desire to shift within the organization in such a big way? Yes, actually there was a there was a moment. There was a moment. Uh, it was about uh, nine years ago. I was very, very lucky to receive a family visiting us. And uh, my brother-in-law is a, is a sailor, and we arranged a sailing holiday with the family, the first one and only one we ever had. And I remember being sailing in a very remote place uh, in, in, in Greece. Uh, we stopped with the boat, and we said, let's go to the beach. So I remember going to the beach, and I wa- when I got to the beach, uh, I found in that very isolated place a bottle, a plastic bottle, of a product I was responsible for, of a brand I was responsible for. And I felt this is wrong. This is totally wrong. This is not where this product belongs. It should not be here. And that was a, a, the, 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 the moment when I realized the magnitude of the problem we were facing. And that was the moment where I felt, well, you know what? Maybe I can do something about this. Maybe I can help with this. And this is, that was the trigger for me to transition to work uh, in packaging. Sounds like it almost became uh, like a kind of mission for you from that moment. Um, I mean, like the fact is quite interesting. You've worked in Unilever for such a long period of time. Indeed, when you started working at Unilever, the concept of a circular economy wasn't even really being talked about. I mean, the foundation's been operating for a little over 10 years. Have you have you kind of seen from the inside that change of emphasis in terms of the circular economy becoming quite a high-level strategic priority? Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And in a way, uh, the job uh, of the people working in product development, in formulation development, in packaging development, when you create a new product, it has become uh, a lot more challenging. If you look back, as you said, uh, 20 years ago, 25, when I showed you Unilever, uh, when we had a new brief about a new product, creating a new product, was about performance. Uh, it was about uh, finding the balance with the cost and the performance of, of that particular product. The whole dimension of sustainability, it wasn't part of the brief. 25 years ago, we didn't look into, into which is the more sustainable material we can use here. Should we use recycled material? Not at all. Uh, it was just plastic. We know it's plastic. That's the way it is. And there wasn't any, any, any thoughts around that. Today, when we embark ourselves in a, in a new development, we not only need to find uh, the way of developing and creating a winning product, a delightful experience for our consumers, but at the same time, we need to ensure we bring a sustainable solution uh, in, into that. It's just uh, been given a better proposition in terms of performance, which is not good enough. I like the way you put that because... Indeed, like in, in, if for a circular solution or whatever it might be to be successful, it still needs all of the things it needed before. It still needs to be a more convenient, uh, affordable, whatever, whatever the criteria those products are competing against traditionally are still a huge factor, of course, just because you're doing circular economy. Um, I wondered, uh, you know, that, so as you know, the Ellen McCarr Foundation um, pushes the along with the UN environment pushes the new plastic economy global commitment which Unilever has signed up for. There's an annual re- you know, set of targets, an annual reporting. Unilever are kind of one of the success stories there, one of the top three companies in terms of progress on recycled PET, for instance, where from the beginning of the reporting period you've gone from one percent 
to over 11% in the latest reporting round. What's kind of been behind that success and what's needed to drive towards, I think the target by 2025 is 25% and beyond? I would say, uh, Seb, what is behind that is um, is the, the our um, our journey on sustainability is, is at the core of our purpose. Uh, it comes from the top. It comes from our CEO, from Alan, all the way down uh, in the organization. So the reality is we are not doing this because we have to. We are doing this because we want to, because we are convinced. We are absolutely convinced, and I'm delighted to hear Alan repeating this time and time again. Um, this is non-negotiable, and there is no future if we don't do this. So that's the, that's the way it is. It's deeply ingrained in everyone in our organization. So uh, we do have our challenges. Of course we do. When we, when we try to uh, introduce and when we work to introduce recycled material in, in our products, we, there are challenges. There are technical challenges. There are cost challenges. The cost of recycled material, it is very high and we're struggling to find a way around that, but that is not going to, to stop us. So there are great examples. You mentioned PET. When you look at Hellman's, our portfolio, 100% recycled material. And only Hellman's has helped us to introduce 14,000 tons of recycled uh, material in, in our portfolio. Um, when we talk about the overall commitment, that commitment is to get to 25% by uh, 2025. But the reality is we are going and we are determined to get to that level way before 2025. And I would say 25% PCR uh, is only the, the first step. We are aiming to go much, much, much higher than that. You, you mentioned Alan there, which is Alan Jope, your, your CEO. How important is it for an organisation like yours? I mean, as, as an individual, you talked about that experience of uh, finding that packaging on the beach and how it kind of stimulated you to think of about your career in a different way. I guess having um, leadership buy-in in an organization is essential because it makes your job easier when you're sort of going and having these tough conversations around, or maybe this might, there may be some cost, initial cost implications to certain things, or if you're running pilots, they're obviously investments. To try and make change happen, you kind of need your leadership to be helping you drive that. Well, that's absolutely essential, Seb. Um, I would go further, I would say, you can't do this if you don't have the support uh, of the senior leadership uh, uh, in, in this journey. As I mentioned, um, you know, driving recyclability is not only about uh, using PCR because we have a set of commitments. Using recycled plastic is, is one of them. But if you don't have your senior leadership on board and supportive, it is almost impossible. There are some tough choices to be made sometimes. Uh, and again, that support from our CEO, from Alan Shope, and the, and, the, and the leadership team, the division presidents, as it happens, is incredibly important. And, but again, when we have those tough choices, um, they're always uh, on our side, they're always supporting us and ensuring that we have all what we need to, to drive the program. So Recycle PET is one area where you're making progress, want to make more progress, need innovation. Another, <clears throat> another really key area, and you know, the, the Pew research that came out in 2020 that kind of said, we're not going to be able to recycle our way out of this alone, um, is innovation that either keeps plastics, plastic packaging or plastic material that goes into packaging in circulation, or indeed innovation that kind of eliminates packaging, plastic packaging that we don't need. Um, and again, there's, you know, Unilever has had 
quite a broad range of pilots in this area over the last couple of years across different products, detergents, shampoos, deodorants, and in a few different regions, Chile, Mexico, the UK. How would you summarize the kind of learnings, you know, what's worked, what's been a, you know, what's been a failure, what are the next steps from these kind of reuse pilots? Right, maybe, maybe several step back for a second and I will, I will explain. Um, within our commitments, there is one that has been introduced in, in, in 2018, which is that uh, we are aiming, uh, we are committed to reduce to half the amount of uh, virgin plastic we use by the year 2025. Um, and not only that, but we also have said that we will eliminate at least 100,000 tons of plastic from from our portfolio. That is the, we are the only company that has committed to an absolute reduction of, of plastic. And when it comes to um, reduce the amount of vision plastic we use, that is the most challenging commitment across the industry. And that we believe is a very important part when we start really reducing the amount of vision plastic uh, we use. The way we are driving this is why we have created a quite simple framework with seven pillars, we call the seven pillars of, of plastic reduction, and each one of them is helping us to reduce the amount of plastic we use. There are elements of uh, traditional lightweighting of our packaging, ensure we don't use more packaging, more plastic than what we really need uh, in order to provide a good you know, experience, quality, and safe experience to our consumers. But then we go into the innovation space, and within the innovation, there are many things we can do to reduce the amount of plastic or to eliminate plastic and, and replace it with uh, other materials. Uh, we have, when it comes to replacing with other materials, we have some great examples. Uh, for example, Home uh, Love and Planet, where we are uh, now, we have a shampoo, which is a bar. It's a, it's a solid shampoo. It's a very different experience, but it has allowed us to introduce uh, carbon as a packaging material instead of plastic. That's about replacing. Now, refills and reuse, that is another pillar of our uh, seven-pillar strategy. And in my opinion, it will play a very, very important role uh, in the future in order to reduce the amount of plastic we use. Um, two different ways of doing it, what we call refills at home. Uh, we have a lot of great uh, examples already in the market. We have C a CFECO refill that allows you, by concentrating your product and refill it at home, to reduce 75% the amount of plastic we use in our safe brand. We have a OMO, a laundry detergent in Brazil, where we, we consumers can buy a concentrating product in a small bottle, take it home, dilute it with water. The experience at the end of the day is the same, and again, 70% reduction in the amount of plastic we use, and it has been extremely successful in Brazil and Argentina. And then you move into what we call uh, refills in store. Refills in store is, is a quite different experience. Uh, it will require, and, and, and it's something we're working on, on changing your habits, the way you shopping, the way you, you experience your first interaction uh, with your product. Uh, at the moment, we have 28 different pilots around the world of different scales, different sizes, slightly different proposition when it comes to refill in store. We have um, perhaps the UK is the country where we have the most and we have quite successful uh, experiences. One is with Asda. We have done uh, in partnership with the Beauty Kitchen where uh, consumers can go to the store and uh, by using a, a metal bottle, aluminum bottle, get your product, bring that bottle back and keep reusing it. 
um, an area with huge potential, but it's an area where we still need to work in collaboration with retailers and with, with our partners to find what is the right execution and how to bring our consumers on that journey. Because again, it will, it will imply changing habits, changing the way uh, we interact with our products and we need to bring uh, the consumers in, in that journey with us. I mean, um, you talked about the importance of collaboration um, in your response there. One of the things that strikes me in, the, in what you described is the, is the variety of different solutions. Is that also kind of part of the challenge that at the moment there's a lot of different, and maybe the, the portfolio will always be extremely varied, but of course that means for people to actually take part in those systems, they may just not understand them. Well, definitely. And one of the things we have realized is this is not something we can do by ourselves. We cannot do this alone. Even when, when you look into refills, think about this in very simple terms. Imagine uh, the retailers and supermarkets having to switch everything they sell into refill stations, every single product. That will be chaotic. You will have hundreds of machines uh, for different brands, for different products in the supermarket. Impossible. How you manage something like that? So we need to start looking into those collaborations that will allow us to bring a model that can be executed successfully. Yeah, Everybody bringing a, a different device, a different machine for a different product for each brand it will be very difficult. And again, this is why we are so open to collaboration, not only with our traditional partners, with our suppliers, but also with the industry as a whole and with our peers to look into solutions together and how to, uh, you know, do the right thing for the planet at the end of the day. Pablo, I'm going to ask you a question that's really, really easy for me to ask and probably quite tough for you to answer, which is, um, you know, like we talked about the variety of different things, you know, many, many, many pilots in many different places. Of course, reuse or refill, the, the different kinds of innovations still make up probably a very small percentage of Unilever's overall portfolio. What is needed or what are the big challenges in order to help this to reach scale? Uh Yes, you're right. The, 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 the scale is small, but we are in that uh, experimentation phase. I mentioned we have 28 and not all of them will be successful. Some of them will work, some of them will not. I think the key here, Sebi, is to identify uh, which is the solution that works for different markets and different products and different categories. Uh, I don't believe there will be one solution that fits all. There will be different models that we will be working with different partners to make them work. What we need here is a scale. What we need is scale. Uh, and again, going back to my point about partnerships, we need to start looking into what are those partnerships that will help us to get to that scale. It, it, I mentioned the example of FASDA. We are working with Tesco in the UK, different um, uh, pilots, all of them very successful, but all of them still limited. So if you, if you want to be successful and really start driving change with impact, we need a scale. And this is, for me, the key success element. And we are hoping to find that and, and achieve that uh, through partnerships. And, and even beyond um, Unilever, there's a lot of other kind of things percolating in this reuse upstream innovation space for, pla for packaging and for plastics packaging. Um, you know, we, a couple of years ago, we released this thing called the Upstream Innovation Guide. We're literally hundreds of different pilots and models that are being tested out. Um, I know you, that Unilever does work with 
a number, you know, you're talking about partnerships with a number of kind of different innovators and partnering on things. Is there, are there things that you kind of need from the innovation community that would kind of help you in your search for solutions in this space? Well, that's a great question. Um, at the end of the day, Seb, I think it's about how we can create as innovators, how we can create that new experience. For me, it's about redefining the consumer experience. Um, if you try to replicate the current consumer experience and do exactly the same, it will be very challenging. So we need to find a way of redefining that consumer experience while adding value uh, to the new propositions. Um, we are extremely committed to sustainability. We want to do it, but reality is there is a small proportion of our consumers that will go out of their way, change completely the way they do things today uh, if there isn't anything there for them. So for me, when we bring these new experiences, they have to be something. They have to be something else, some more uh, a new experience or adding value uh, somehow uh, to that. So this is what we need from the um, innovation community about how to redefine those experiences. Forget about what it is today, how to create a new and better and more sustainable uh, experience. And this is why when we look in the way we look at sustainability in Unilever, this is not a task or responsibility of my organization in packaging. This is the responsibility of the whole company. When we look at the new proposition, it's not about let's find a way of replacing plastic with something else. It's about how can we reinvent this product in a way that will be more sustainable. It, might, it will not require plastic or we can put it in a different type of containers. Again, we look at it, at it in a holistic way and not only about, well, bring me another material, let's replace plastic. That's not the way it works. I mean, what you're saying really chimes with me because, I mean, you know, I, I work a lot in some of our learning and educational work here at the foundation. And we're talking about this transformation from linear to circular we're often trying to tell people is you need to almost forget everything you know about how the economy works in order to really understand what we're trying to get to. It's that kind of redesigned and re you know, reimagining and rethinking of the way things work today versus, you know, exactly what you were saying, this kind of tweaking of what we have or taking one part of the current system and trying to make it better or different in some way. And that's exactly, exactly right, Seb. Uh, and one of the things I'm always saying is, when we when we get into the conversation about, I, I'm asked um, very often, what will be the material that will replace plastic? And my answer is uh, hopefully nothing, because that's not the mindset we should have. Let me let me talk about plastic for a second. Is plastic a problem itself? Can we blame the material? No, that would be silly. There is nothing wrong with plastic. It's an amazing material with amazing properties that help us to be where we are today in the world as a society. Yeah, it has done so many great things for us. The problem is the way we've been treating plastic, the way we've been abusing of plastic in this linear way, just take and dispose, take and take, use and dispose. That is the problem. Therefore, this question about, oh, what is the new material that will replace plastic? It really worries me because it implies like, oh, let's do the same but with something that uh, is good and doesn't, uh, doesn't create any impact uh, in the environment. Well, I don't think you can go into a linear system and, and find something that will have no impact. There will always be some sort of impact. Therefore, for me, 
the question is how we can redefine the system, how we can start moving into circular system. And once you go into the circular system, the material is less relevant because you will keep that material going around and around in the system. If we could find a way of keeping plastic in the system, you don't dispose it, but you reuse it, you reuse it, and you reuse it, the problem goes away. That's why my position with plastic is, yes, we do have a huge problem with plastic that we need to find a way, uh, a way out. We need to sort out the problem. We need to stop generating waste. But again, if we crack that circular model where the, the plastic can be in the system uh, forever, then the problem goes away. So that's why I try to stay away a little bit from, oh, what is that magic material that will replace plastic? Well, there won't be. There, there are more sustainable solutions. There are better solutions depending on how you look at it. But again, we need to get our mindset right. It's, it's about stopping that mindset of take, use, and dispose. I mean, it's also just a, a lot of wasted energy hating on a material versus thinking about how do we redesign the way we access our products. Another topic that I find really interesting, um, Pablo, because I mean, you were talking about partnerships earlier. Unilever is one of a number of businesses that have recently endorsed the need for EPR and um, uh, the need for a global treaty, a legally binding global treaty on plastics and on plastic pollution. Why have they, why have you done that? Well, um, we are part of 70 companies, uh, actually, that we have signed up uh, for it, supporting uh, a plastic global treaty uh, through the United Nations. Uh, and the main reason, Seb, is because we need a level playing field for this. Yeah, We need to ensure we all play uh, with the same rules. That is, we are supportive of it, and that's why we believe that that treaty, it should be uh, legally binding is very, very important. It is legally binding, so there's no way around around this. And the second element for the treaty will be uh, we have to ensure that we'll drive reduction in the amount of virgin plastic uh, is produced to force the system to start moving into a more circular uh, system. So that, those are the two key elements. When it comes to EPR schemes, uh, extensive, uh, extended producer responsibility schemes, uh, again, we are supportive of those schemes as long as they are implemented and created in the right way. We believe it will help the industry as a whole to move into, into circular systems. I think it's, it always, for me, it demonstrates also the value of setting these public targets because it kind of, as an organization, it makes you start to think, well, we need innovation we need a level playing field and it kind of helps you to orientate towards kind of more specific solutions and more specific asks of partners um, versus, I mean, it's very easy to say we need policy, but it's more useful to say we need these policies specifically and, and we kind of agree on that as an industry. Um, I have uh, maybe one last question for you, Pablo, which is what do you hope your legacy will be? Um, well, I hope, um, I've been in Unilever for a long time, yeah, it's, it's a company I love and it's the right, uh, and uh, the reason I love this company is because the purpose, it's all about the purpose, yeah, um, and I decided to move, as I explained before, into the plastic war, into the packaging war, because I believe, uh, I believe there is a huge opportunity to make a difference, so I hope my legacy will be, 
um, in the future uh, a packaging portfolio in Unilever that is waste-free. That would be my dream. Uh, might not achieve it in my lifetime uh, for as long as I'm around, but at least I want to start uh, moving in that direction. So my dream is, the future is, uh, where we don't generate any waste. There is no waste. We have a truly circular system in all dimensions, but uh, my responsibility is in our uh, packaging portfolio in Unilever. So if I can leave that legacy behind where we have that circular system, there's no waste. Waste disappear, that would be, that would be a lot. Pablo, thanks so much for making some time to have a conversation with me today. Thank you very much, Seb. My pleasure. Wow, Seb. I thought that was a very honest conversation. It's inspiring to see how Unilever is trying to incorporate the circular economy to the design of each product that they are bringing to the market and how they are piloting some solutions, uh, some reuse models, some refill models, um, I mean, I, I look forward to seeing how this develops, right? Because as Pablo says, they are still small. They have many of them around the world, but they are still not the main, let's say, source of income for the, for the company. And also, I found particularly inspiring what he said about his legacy, the legacy that he wants to leave at the company, um, about this packaging portfolio that is well, waste-free in a way. Um, I thought that was why quite an you know an ambitious target to have um, in a company. Yeah, and 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 it's a distinct target currently in the marketplace. But of course, we hope to see many more organisations making similar commitments. And that in many ways, these the kind of ambitions that Pablo is talking about they're just the start, right? They're they're um, benchmarks the industry is aiming towards. And by the time we get to the moments in time that that they're supposed to be achieved by actually would have need to have raised the ambition level further and further and especially in the space of kind of reuse and this design innovation we know that there's a huge amount of work to be done the o- overarching narrative of the most recent global commitment progress report shows that yes for the company signed up to that report um we're seeing a kind of uh, we will be seeing virgin plastics reduction by 2025 at some scale. But we're also not seeing the uptake of these new innovations and business models, which of course have some of the greatest potential to reduce uh, plastic packaging, version plastic packaging. Yeah, it it made me reflect as well on the importance of metrics, right? On on the importance of having these frameworks in place so that we can hold um, all these businesses accountable for the commitments that they that they make and if you know whether they are actually taking action and i think in the in this next decade we are going to have to turn all the ambitions that we've seen into action yeah and you know like the the innovations that are happening of course are a huge threat to these organizations you know you think about the biggest companies that exist today um, many of those didn't exist 30 years ago, the technology firms that we know of today. And there's huge amounts of innovation in this space as well. And so there's an element of, and Pablo said it in his um, in the conversation, I think, uh, that they're not necessarily doing circular because they need to as much as because they want to, or at least they're doing it because they also want to, but they also need to. Well, Seb, hopefully in the next conversation that we might host about Unilever, we can talk about some of the progress that they've that they've done. This is unfortunately all we have time for today. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we do three things, right, Seb? 
develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage some of the key actors in the economy who can help to make it happen, and mobilize system solutions at scale. And actually, this episode is a demonstration of all three of those things. We're talking about that vision of a new plastics economy, the idea of a circular economy applied to plastics. Unilever, huge organization within the plastic sector and the, and the economy at large, actually. And, um, and the initiative that they're part of, this global commitment and other activities of the New Plastic Economy Initiative, is an example of the foundation trying to create a demonstration of circular economy across the system. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to, uh, to this podcast and share it with your network. And we look forward to bringing to you more conversations next week. I'm going to go even further than that. If you found anything I've said at all personally or professionally valuable to you, then do me one favor and share this podcast with someone you think would also find it valuable. See you next week. See you next week.